On this Memorial Day weekend, we honor those that have fallen, those that have paid the ultimate price for our freedoms here in this country. And I would ask that if you've lost a loved one in service to our country in the military and any of our campuses joining us, would you please stand now that we may honor you and thank you for your sacrifice. Please stay standing for a moment. Please stay standing. I just would like to, if you could stay standing, I want to pray for you and thank you on behalf of all of us here at Rock Church. God, we thank you for those that stand amongst us. Their loss is deep. The wounds are fresh on days like today, God. We pray, Lord, that you would draw near to them as you've promised, that you'd comfort the brokenhearted. We thank you that you love them, Lord, and we thank you that they represent such great sacrifice. That we could even gather today freely and speak the name of Jesus to give you praise and honor because of what their loved ones have done for us. And so we thank them, we honor them in this place. It's in your name, Jesus, we pray. All God's people said, amen. Thank you again. Thank you so much. Hello and welcome. My name is Jason Mayer. I serve as campus pastor at our Rock Church San Marcos location. I want to welcome all of our campuses. Special shout out to San Marcos joining us here now. And today we're continuing our series, When Bad Things Happen. And the question I have for us today is, what are you doing with your pain? Something very intimately connected with bad things is pain. It's universal to the human condition. We all feel it. Because the truth is this, what you do with your pain determines what it becomes. What you do with your pain, it will determine what it becomes. And so before we begin, I want to welcome to the stage someone, uh, a friend of ours, is part of our Rock Safety Ministry here at our Point Loma campus. We call him Sarge. Would you join me in welcoming retired Army Sergeant Daniel Casera to the stage? So I want to introduce uh, my service dog here, Vic. Great dog, and he does some, some wonderful things for me. And, and that talks about a little bit to the, to the pain that Pastor Jason was just talking about. So a little bit about my testimony and who I am. Um, so on September 23rd, 2005, I was in South Baghdad, Iraq. And um, me and five others were in an M113, so I'm a personnel carrier um, I served the United States Army, and, and for those of you grunts out there that, that understand what that is, um, you know that, that those things don't, don't really take a whole lot of punch, and we rolled over an anti-tank mine, and what that did was that flipped our, our vehicle over, uh, and it killed two of my guys, and, and four others, including myself, were injured. You know, I sustained bilateral fractures to my right tibia and fibula, Shattered left tibia, both of my heel and ankle bones were shattered and a dislocated right hip. And 24 surgeries later, countless hours of therapy, I stand before you today. And I will tell you, and I will tell you that that pain that I went through physically, the pain that I went through emotionally, even spiritually, I questioned God, you know, why me? And 
after, you know, months of, of soul searching, you know, he told me that the pain that I am going through was because he trusted me with that pain. And there are many of you out there that he is trusting you with your pain. And for those gold star families that just stood up, understand, those gold star families are the people who have lost their loved ones. Those are the ones make sure you show extra love to, especially today and tomorrow. But that pain that I went through allowed me to be able to go further in Christ and to be able to understand what God had for me. And the same thing that God has for me, God has for you as well. And so that pain that you're dealing with, you could turn that around. God has allowed me to see things, meet people, go places that I never would have been able to experience without going through the pain that I've gone through. So as you go through this message, understand where your pain is. Understand what God has you, the, the, the place that God has you right now. Find that Bible verse that you can link on to like I did with Psalms 91 that got me through my deployment and I know it's going to do the same thing for you. God bless you all and have a great day. God bless. Thank you. Let me pray for our time together. Lord God, we thank you so much that you love us. We thank you that we can gather freely now. And Lord, we open our hearts and our minds to you. We give you permission. Would you speak to us? Every one of us here, we're familiar with pain. Some of us are going through some very difficult things. We're suffering, God, and we thank you that we can come to you, that you understand our pain. You know our pain so well, Jesus, more than we could even imagine what you went through, God. So we thank you. And we pray, Lord, that you'd speak to us a fresh word today and that we would leave here forever changed. We love you and praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. The idea that... <clears throat> Pain can become purpose in our life. It's difficult, especially when we're in the midst of pain. And on the surface, it'd be very easy to say that pain is not a good thing and I don't want it in my life. In fact, many of us, we've created our lives around this idea of avoiding discomfort and pain at all costs. We, we create convenience in our life and do everything we can to not be discomforted. But you see, pain can have a purpose. It reminds me of a story of a man named Tony Dungy. Some of you are probably familiar. He's a former NFL player and coach. He won the Super Bowl as a coach of the Colts a few years back. And Tony is a, a man of faith, a man of God, a follower of Christ. And he's written many books on leadership and fatherhood. And he shares a story about his son Jordan. When Jordan was younger, they discovered that Jordan had a rare autoimmune disorder which didn't allow him to feel pain. He couldn't feel it. And you might think on the surface that that's not that big of a deal, but it was quite a, a problem, quite an issue for them. You see, Jordan, when he was young, like most young boys, he thought that chocolate chip cookies were from the Lord. Can I get a hallelujah and amen? <laughs> Especially warm chocolate chip cookies, right? We know they're much better than room temperature. And so in this young boy's mind, as he thought about it, it logically it made sense that if it was, they were good when they were warm, they must be even better when they're hot in the oven. And so he went, he opened the oven after his mother had put in the cookies and he grabbed the pan without gloves and he put them on top of the stove and he grabbed one of those cookies at 325 degrees and he started to eat it. You see, he couldn't feel the pain that he was going through. He couldn't realize that his skin was being burnt off his hands and his mouth and his esophagus as he ate it. And it's because of that lack of feeling pain that Tony and his wife had to very closely keep an eye on their son so that he wouldn't find himself in a very dangerous or perhaps life-threatening situation because he wasn't aware of the pain around him. You see, pain has a purpose in our life if we understand it. If 
we realize that at the surface, pain is just a symptom of something that's not right. Something not working properly, something malfunctioning, something missing in our life, whether it's physical or emotional or relational or even spiritual pain. And so I want to press into this idea that what we do with that pain, it will determine what it becomes. Last week, Pastor preached an amazing word from Job chapter 1 about the proper response when bad things happen. That when bad things happen, we are to worship, we are to praise God. We can't just praise him when he's good or when good things are happening. He's good all the time and we should always praise and worship him. And that is what we're aspiring to, but there's so much more to the human condition that isn't touched on in that first chapter. So we're going to look at the rest of the book of Job and realize that there's a whole lot of emotions happening. Job's feeling the pain. He's feeling the suffering. The question is, what does he do with it? Now, for many of us, we do lots of things with our pain, most of which are not healthy. We ignore it, pretend like it's not there. We stuff it down in a deep place, hoping it'll go away. In reality, it doesn't go anywhere. It goes with us. And after enough time, eventually it'll manifest itself in very unhealthy and even more painful ways than it originally was in the first place. Sometimes we minimize our pain. It's just not that bad. It's okay. I'm fine. We try and numb our pain, some of us. We give ourselves into behavior to distract us from the pain. Some of us, we even get to the unhealthy pattern of blaming others, blaming situations and things for the pain that we're feeling. But ultimately, if we continue to allow our pain to go in that direction, it will become exactly what we make of it. It'll become a debilitating thing in our life. It will put us in bondage. It'll force us into this victim mentality. That no matter what we do, we're just destined to have these bad things happen to us. And Job, he goes down that road. For 35 chapters of this book, he's going to be crying out to God, complaining, having arguments with these three guys the Bible calls his friends. And we're going to take a look at the response that God has to him after allowing Job to express himself over and over again to express his pain, he's going to respond to him. And I think there's a lot we can learn as we think about our own pain and how do we respond to it. And so for 35 chapters, Job complains and he, and, he, and he says, this isn't fair, this isn't right. And the first thing we have to realize, if you're taking notes, the first point there in your lesson plan, that if pain is to become purpose in our life, we have to replace our grumbling with grieving. We've got to get rid of the grumbling and, and press into the grieving. See, God welcomes our grieving. He, he wants us to grieve. In a few uh, weeks, we're going to get into the book of Psalms and our reading plan. As, as, as we press into discipleship, we've been reading the Bible together. We started Esther this morning, and later this week, we're going to get into Job. And, and a few weeks from now, we're going to be in Psalms. And Psalms is just another word for songs. There's 150 of them in that particular section of Scripture. A third of those Psalms or songs are songs of lament, which just simply means grieving and, and crying out to God. The authors of these Psalms are saying, this, this, is, this is terrible. I can't believe this is happening. All these... Awful things are happening, God, would you please help me? In fact, there's a whole other book in the Bible called Lamentations. It's an entire book talking about what it means to grieve. God's certainly good with us grieving. Jesus himself grieved. The night before he was arrested, the night he was arrested and betrayed and given over to false trials and, and mock, mock, execu you know, mock uh, trials, he, he cried out to God in the Garden of Gethsemane. Lord, is there any other way that the sins of the world can be forgiven because this is, this is rough. I know what I'm going to have to do and I don't want to do it. He was so stressed. He was, he was sweating tears, sweating drops of blood in that moment. In fact, Jesus, when one of his close friends, Lazarus, died, what did he do? He wept. 
That would be a natural response like any of us. We would cry if someone near to us died. And I find in my life as I, I get older, I'm just crying more and more. Like I got married and I started crying more. <laughs> I'm happily married, by the way. My wife's here. And then we had kids and I started crying even more. We've got two girls right now and I don't know if it's just the, the total amount of estrogen in my house now. It's like contagious and I've caught it. But I find myself crying a lot more. Good news is we got a boy on the way. Praise the Lord. We got some testosterone coming. Some backup. Amen. But here's the weird thing. And I don't know, fellas, if you can relate to this, but there's this strange thing that happens in my, in my home and in my marriage is that when I cry, like we're, we're watching something and, and the emotions get to me and my eyes start to water a little bit. I look over my wife and she's got this interesting look on her face. She's like, <laughs> she's excited. Like, I don't understand. I'm crying. I'm emotional. I'm upset. And she's over here like giddy and happy like I won the lottery or something. She's like so excited for me. Any other fellows relate to this? Any of your wives? Are, okay, a couple of you guys. It's this strange phenomenon. I don't know. I don't know what to make of it. I guess at the very least, I've got a, a welcoming environment that I can weep and cry in my home. Right, but that's just part of the human emotion. And, and God's saying, would you come to me? He, he says, look, come to me, those of you that are, that are heavy laden and burdened. Cast your cares upon me. He wants us to grieve, but he's not okay with the grumbling, the complaining. That, that's, he's not so good with that. And we see a lot of that from Job in, in those 35 chapters. Right, here's the difference. You might think, well, 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 grieving and grumbling, it's kind of the same. But here's the thing. With grumbling, complaining, there's this underlying current of resentment, of being discontent, accusations. There's this element of judgment that comes through in complaining. Because complaining sounds like this. This isn't fair. Why is this happening to me? I don't deserve this. Why didn't it happen to so-and-so instead of me? You see, we have to be careful with our grumbling because as we, if we continue down this road, if this is what we do with our pain, that grumbling very quickly turns into complaining. And pretty soon we find ourselves standing in a position where we're saying, God, you're not doing a very good job of running the universe. In fact, if I were in charge, God, I would do things a whole lot differently. Because this isn't fair what's happening to me. This isn't right. And see, God's not quite good with that one. He's pretty convinced as the one who created the universe and everything in it, that he's the one that should be in charge. And see, the, here's the problem and here's the, the lie that, that we tell ourselves that we would somehow do a better job of determining all the things that happen in our lives. When we realize we can't control so much of what happens to us, we can simply respond, we can simply control how we respond to those things, but somehow we, we believe this lie that we would do a better job deciding the fate of our lives in the world. But in our weakness, in our humanity, the, the way that we dispense justice through impatience is we often do it through force. Someone does something harsh to us, we want to return that to them and just a little bit extra, don't we? Right, we, we decide that justice is throwing someone away for life and never giving them a chance to rehabilitate or enter society again. We've come up in society with the death penalty. These are things that we in our humanity do. Ultimately, the way that we give justice, the way that we combat evil is we actually do evil things ourselves. And by doing evil, we become evil. You see, when we say, God, we would do a better job sitting on the throne of the universe, what we're actually saying is, you're not doing a good job, but... The sad truth and irony is we wouldn't become another God. We would just become another Satan. 
You see, this story already played out once before. It's the lie we've been told from the beginning. And that serpent talked to Adam and Eve in the garden. He said, God's holding out on you. You can decide right and wrong for yourself. He doesn't know what he's talking about. There's better he's holding back. And every day we've been buying that lie and eating that fruit, thinking that we somehow in our knowledge, we know best, that we can decide right and wrong better than God can. He gave us that sense of morality. It's from him. We're made in his image and somehow we think we know better. And so if we're going to allow pain to become purpose in our life, the first thing we have to do is we have to stop grumbling and just simply allow it to be grieving in our lives. And so Job complains and he grumbles over and over again and finally God responds. And in chapters 38 and 39, he responds to Job. And he says, you've asked me a lot of questions. Now I'm going to ask you a few questions. So, so Job, prepare yourself. Get ready for the test. And this is the part in the movie where you're like, ooh, this is not going to go well for Job. Right? The, the, the script is about to be flipped. And God says to Job, okay, you've been asking me all these questions of why this is happening to you. And it doesn't seem right because you've been doing good things and now bad things are happening. Let me ask you a few questions. Job, were you there when I set the foundations of the earth? Are you there to tell the sun when to rise and when to set? Did you put all those constellations in the sky, Job? Those giant balls of gas that emit light and heat and give life to the universe? Did you do that? He takes them on this cosmic tour of the universe. He says, do you control the weather? Do you tell the, the ocean when to stop on the shore and to proceed no further? Is that you, Job? Are you the one doing that? Job, are you aware when mountain goats give birth, the, the feeding patterns of lions? Are you aware that when the, the baby birds cry out for food, are you the one giving them sustenance, making sure they survive? Is that you, Job? Are you doing that? He doesn't actually answer all of Job's complaints. He doesn't give him the reason why these things are happening. But what he does do is he shifts. The second point in your notes, if you're taking notes, is that if we're going to allow pain to become purpose, we have to shift our perspective. We have to trust God's perspective over our own. You see, we're so limited in our focus. We're so limited in what we can understand of what's actually happening in our lives. Right? It's, it's like anytime you watch a war movie, right? There, there's always this scene in, in every war movie where... You've got the ground troops and they're fighting. And they can see right around the corner there is the, is the, the target. It's the, the ridge they're supposed to take or the town they're supposed to occupy. And the leader of the forces is calling to the command center saying, give us the order. We can take it. I see it. It's good. Let us go. And then it cuts to the scene in the command center, hundreds, maybe thousands of miles away. It's dimly lit. There's screens on. There's maps everywhere. They're taking phone calls. There's a, there's a high-ranking officials in the room and they take that call and their response is, here's what I want you to do. I want you to stop, turn around, go back around the bend a couple miles and this is the way we want you to proceed. And of course, the, the, the leader on the, on the ground is like, what are you talking about? You guys don't get it. We're right here. That's going to add so much time. We can take it. It's right there. We can see it. Of course, what that ground commander doesn't know and doesn't realize is that right around the corner is an entire battalion of enemy troops lying in ambush, just wanting to lay waste to his, his, his men. You see, because what that ground leader doesn't know is what that command center does. They've got all the intel coming in from all the different troops on the battlefield. They can see all the movement patterns of all the forces. If it's a newer movie, right, it's the, it's the satellite imagery. They can see right there on the ground. There they are. And it's the same way between us and God. We see this bad thing that happens to us, this diagnosis of an illness, this death of a loved one, loss of a job, and all we can see is, is we're limited in time and space to what's happening right now. How it makes us feel, the suffering that we are going through in that moment. But God, 
God sees so much more. He sees what's happened in the past for generations that have led up to this moment. He, he knows every cell in your body, every hair that's numbered on your head. He sees how the things happening now are going to affect you in the future and for future generations. He even sees how the connectedness between you and people all around the world, how what's happening to you is actually impacting people around the world you don't even know exist and don't know their names. God sees all of that and he says to Job, Job, just take a look from my perspective for a moment, would you? All of a sudden, your problems look a little differently, don't they? And if we're going to allow God to use that pain in our lives for purpose, for our good, as the Bible says, then we have to step back and we have to trust God's perspective over our own. And we understand, we know this to be true. Uh, simple uh, question, example for you. How many of you, at some point in your life, you had something bad happen? And in that moment, it was bad. And fast forward a few weeks, a few months, maybe even years, and you look back now, and on that bad thing that was bad in the moment, you can look back and honestly thank God for that thing that happened because of all the good that came in your life. How many of that can you say that? Look around the room. This is evidence that our perspective is so limited and we can't trust it. We have to be willing to step back and say, God, I'm going to trust how you see things, not how I see things. And so he goes through all this questioning, right? Job cries out to God. He complains. And God asks him those questions. In, in chapter 40, Job responds. If you've got your Bibles, go ahead and open it. Chapter 40 of Job. And what does Job say? What, what would you say if God says, here, let me ask you a few questions. I think Job's pretty sensible of a guy. Chapter four, or verse four and, and verse five of chapter 40, Job says, um, I've already said too much. I'm not gonna say anything else, right? Fellas, can you relate to that statement? I know the ladies joining us have never regretted saying anything, but guys, we do that all the time. I'm so sorry, forgive me. I've already said too much. If I say anything else, it's just gonna make it worse. Right, that's a pretty appropriate response, I would think, to that line of questioning from God. You're right, God, I, I certainly didn't create the earth and everything in it and the universe. I have no idea what's happening around the world at every moment. Clearly you do. I'm so sorry. Here's the crazy thing, though. He, he responds by saying, I'm not going to say anything else. But what he doesn't do is he doesn't apologize or repent. He doesn't actually ask for forgiveness in this moment. And this is a powerful thing because th this is God showing us that, that our feelings are real and he doesn't want to diminish them. Job has lost everything, his kids, his possessions, his livelihood, his very health. I mean, you can imagine, put yourself in his shoes, the, the pain and the suffering you would be feeling. Some of you have experienced some of those things. And God has let you for 35 chapters of your life complain to him. And in this moment, he's saying, hey, I want you just to shift your perspective a little bit. Of course, our response should be, you're right, I've already said too much. But Job's pain is real. And he's still wrestling with it. And he's still, he's like, yeah, but I still don't understand why this is happening. God, I get it that your perspective is more, but still this is hard. And so God says, okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to ask you a couple more questions. Let's, we're, we're, we're getting there. We're getting a little bit closer. And so in, in verse 7, chapter 40, God challenges Job again. He says, dress for action like a man. In the Hebrew, this, this is translated, gird up your loins. Here, now, you know it's serious when someone says, gird up your loins, right? Like if someone says, I want to meet you outside afterwards, like don't worry about that. But if someone says that you need to gird up your loins, it's about to go down. So just be careful. <laughs> he says, dress yourself for action like a man. I'm going to question you and you make it known to me. Will you even put me in the wrong, Job? Will you condemn me that you may be in the right? 
Have you an arm like God? And can you thunder with a voice like his? Adorn yourself with majesty and dignity. Clothe yourself with glory and splendor. Like put on your best suit, Job, your tie, shine your shoes, get ready in all your majesty because I'm going to test you. In verse 11, he says, Job, I want you to pour out the overflowings of your anger and look on everyone who is proud and abase him. Look on everyone who is proud and bring him low. Tread down the wicked where they stand. Hide them all in the dust together. Bind their faces in the world below. If you can do that, Job, verse 14, then I will also acknowledge to you that your own right hand can save you. Right? Here's what God's doing and here's the question he's asking Job and us today. He said, listen, I want you to consider everybody that's alive. This is thousands of years ago, but if it were happening today, there's 7.7 billion people on the planet. And he's saying, I want you to consider every single person. Consider every single way that they hurt one another, their sins, the evil things that they do to one another, the despicable things we do to one another. I want you to consider all that, Job, and I want you to execute perfect justice at the same time to everybody. Now, if you're a parent... Inevitably, you've had a situation in your parenting where you're doing something and your kids are in another room and all of a sudden it goes quiet. And instantly your, your parent radar goes off and you're like, this is not good. Everybody knows silence is not good in parenting, right? And all of a sudden out of the silence you hear this cry, this whack or thud. And of course you respond as a responsible parent even though part of you is like, I don't want to deal with this. But you go and you walk into the room and here's what you don't get. You don't get one of your children saying, Daddy, I was selfish. I took my brother's toy. I'm sorry, I repent. Would you forgive me? Like that's never happened in, in the history of parenting, right? Instead, what do you get as a parent? You walk in there and you get like the corporate salute. Like he did it. Like not my fault. I didn't do it. He stole my toy. He hit me, right? And back and forth. And now here we go. You have the opportunity the responsibility to step into the throne of the universe, a.k.a. your house, and now you get the opportunity to dispense perfect judgment. So what do you do? Do you side with Timmy who got hit? Do you side with Johnny who had his toy stolen? Or maybe you're wise like Solomon and you just rip that toy in half and like no one's going to have fun anymore. (laughs) Right? Whatever you do, you walk away from that situation and at some point, maybe not right away because you're upset, but later at least, you, there's a voice inside you that asks, did you make the right call? Did you execute perfect justice there? Did you consider all the factors of what happened and the emotional state of your kids? And did you exercise grace and mercy or did you just do what it, you felt was right? And that's just between two little humans. Like they're almost cave people. They're so like, you know what I mean? But here's what God's saying. Here's what I've got my eye on, God's saying. I've got my eye on all the 7.7 billion people with a B on the planet and the ways they hurt each other. And I'm working out perfect justice and all that. It's messy and it's complex. And there are times when things happen to us and we're like, that is not fair. In our limited perspective, that's probably a true statement. But when we step back and we allow God's perspective to be our own, things look a whole lot different. I mean, we can't even do perfect justice in our own families, let alone the world. Because in our limited capacity, we, we respond through evil to match evil. But only God, only God can take good and evil and work it out for the good in our lives. For those that love God, a call to current to his purposes, the Bible says. He's the only one that can transform that bad and turn it into good in our lives. And so he's inviting us in to, to replace our grumbling with grieving and to trust his perspective. And so now he's questioned Job a second time. And what does Job respond? How would you respond to this? challenge to judge the world and see how you would do at it. 
Because if you're qualified, God's saying, I will acknowledge then that you're strong enough, you're wise enough that you can save yourself. You can take care of all the wrongs in your life and you can decide what's right and wrong for you. Well, in verse 42, or chapter 42, after all this, we get a response from our man Job. He considers all these questions from God and he answers the Lord and he says, chapter 42, verse 2, I know, God, that you can do all things and that no purpose of yours can be thwarted. You said to me, God, who is this that hides counsel without knowledge? So God, therefore, I realize I've uttered what I did not understand, things too wonderful for me which I did not know. You ask me, God, here and I will speak. I will question you and you make it known to me. But God, I had heard of you by the hearing of the ear, but now, now my eye sees you. Therefore, God, I despise myself and I repent. I am comforted in dust and in ashes. You see, finally we get that forgiveness, that request, that repentance from God or from Job to God. You see, his, his perspective has been shifted. He's allowed God's perspective to start to, understand, to, to realize that what he's facing, is, as painful and as bad as it may be, that God can still work it out for good in his life. That's the same opportunity that he's given to every one of us today to trust God, to allow that pain to become purpose in our lives. And here's what I don't want you to miss, and, and I hope that you caught what, what Job said. He said, listen, God, I used to hear about you with my ears. But now that I've been through this path of pain with you, God, and, I, and you've comforted me and you've shown me a new perspective, now, God, I don't just hear, but now I see with my eye that you are good, that you are faithful. You see, the final point is that if we trust God with our pain, then we can allow pain to take us from believing to a place of knowing. And there's power in knowing. What does that look like? What's the difference? Well, just look at the disciples. They walked with Jesus for three years, saw all of his miracles, the amazing things that he did. And when Jesus finally asked them, who, who is it that I am? Peter replies correctly by saying, you're the Messiah. He believes, Jesus, you're the Messiah, the long-awaited one who's going to usher in God's kingdom once again. But then Jesus is arrested. He's beaten, he's mocked, he's crucified, and then he dies. And so what do the disciples do in response? Well, in their, in their limited capacity of belief, they ran, they fleed. They even denied knowing Jesus as a friend. But then Jesus rose. He defeats death once and for all, sin once and for all. He pays the price. They see him in his resurrected body. They touch him, doubting Thomas, right? He sticks his hand in the side. And now we, we see that pain, that pathway they went through, that suffering, realizing we've lost everything. Everything we, we, stuck, we, put, we, we banked our lives on has fallen apart. But through that pain, God had worked with them. And now they went from believing to knowing. Now they became world changers. Starting the church. We wouldn't be here if it wasn't for the disciples. Each one of them sold out for Christ. No matter what happened to them, they were going to follow Jesus. And it led them, each one of them, to a martyr's death. There is so much power if we allow pain to be that pathway from believing to knowing. And here's the thing, none of us, if given the opportunity, would we ever choose it, would we? Because pain hurts. Suffering isn't fun. None of us would ever raise our hand and say, sign me up for a heaping dose of pain and suffering, please. And yet God says, listen, in many cases in our lives, the only pathway from believing to knowing is through pain. But I'll be with you. As you go through that valley of the shadow of death, I will be with you. 
and I will do something more than you can even imagine. And that one day with enough shifting of perspective, you'll look back and see that was a good thing. That was a blessing from God, that thing that happened. You see, if we allow pain to be that path, we can go from a place of being afflicted to being affirmed. From being trampled to being triumphant. From being victims to being victorious in our lives if we allow God to move through our pain. And so we're going to, in a moment, do what God asked all of his disciples, his followers to do, which is celebrate in communion. And today as we take communion, what we're saying is we're acknowledging it's a confession to say, Lord, I need you. And I trust that through my pain, you can work it for purpose. And that if I give it to you, that it will become a strength in my life. It will become a testimony and and a a battle cry of victory in my life. But before we do that, I want to give everybody an opportunity, wherever, whatever campus you're at, to respond to the invitation today. God's calling each and every one of us. The Bible says that he'll work all things for good for those that love God and are called according to his purposes. God's been calling you your whole life. Every moment of every day. And some of you are very aware of that call in your lives. But the other part of that verse is we have to love God and to love God is to obey God and to trust him. And so for some of you today, that trusting God looks like this. It says, God, I'm going to start trusting you with this pain, this terrible situation I'm in, believing you can do something with it. For others of you, it's a trusting of God by saying, I'm going to give you my life today, Jesus. I'm going to trust that you are the king of the universe, that you are Lord and Savior, that you have paid the price so I could be forgiven and made right with God again. And so I'm asking everybody right now to bow your heads and close your eyes. All of our campuses. If that's you today. And you're in a place and you realize that you need to trust God. You're believing today that he can do something amazing and miraculous through the pain and the suffering you're, you're going through. Or your prayer of trust today is simply, Lord, I trust you with my very life. And I want you to pray this prayer with me in the privacy of your own heart. Pray, dear God, forgive me. I am so sorry for thinking somehow I know better than you. That somehow I can decide what's right and wrong better than you. And so, Father, I I confess and believe that Jesus is your one and only son. And Jesus, you died for me so I could be forgiven. I believe, Jesus, that you rose from the dead, that you defeated death, you defeated sin once and for all. I choose in an act of faith to trust you today, God. I surrender my life to you. Jesus, be my Lord, be my Savior. I give you my pain today. In the best way I know how, all the rest of my life, I will follow you. With our eyes closed and our heads bowed, in a moment, I'm going to count to three. I'm going to invite those of you that prayed that prayer to stand if you're physically able. And by standing, you're declaring outwardly that you've been transformed inwardly. That you've moved from believing to knowing from grumbling to grieving, you're shifting your perspective today, trusting in God. And after I pray and invite you to stand, I'm gonna 
have you come forward to every, every altar, whatever campus you're at, so we can pray for you and with you and, and we can celebrate communion together. So if that's you, if you pray that prayer, saying, I trust you today, God. And on the count of three, I want you to stand right where you are. If you want someone to stand with you, grab their hand, they'll stand with you. If that's you, on the count of three, one, two, people already standing. Three, God bless you, stand to your feet.